0: Hi, my name is James Andrella, and you are listening to the Back to Human podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be discussing something that I have honestly been fantasizing about for quite some time now, which is giving up everything and living on the road. I know that seems pretty rational, but I know I'm not the only one that has had these thoughts, and today's guest has actually done just that. Joining me on the show today, I have Josiah Wolfson. In 2021, Josiah and his partner, Laura, decided to give up their careers as a lawyer and a teacher and move into their Mercedes Sprinter named Paz. Josiah hosts a really cool YouTube channel called Living in Paz, where he documents his journey of living out on the road and recently
1: building his own home in Colombia. Without further ado, Josiah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. I'm glad we're able to finally connect. I'm excited to to jump into it. Mm -hmm. Everything works
0: out, man. So thank you for being patient. Thank you for jumping on this. I know it was last minute, so let's see what can happen. So uh, give me a little brief background. How did you grow up and uh,
1: what inspired you to really go about your journey? My journey. So the the journey I'm on has been an unpredictable one, uh, to say the least. I grew up uh, very sheltered. Um, I was the two things I never tell people. My father was a pastor of a mega church and I was homeschooled. Uh, people tend to have preconceived notions when I jump into either of those two topics. And so I, I used to very much avoid them. Um, I saw it as as being saved uh, from this world of everything being, you know, conditioned for me. Once I started traveling, I I took my first backpacking trip at 16, went to Argentina for three months, and it opened the world for me. Uh, Traveling was a huge portal into what was possible, experiencing other cultures. Uh, But I remember uh, after undergrad, I moved back from South America to the United States to start law school. And having lived in South America for a year and a half, and at that point, I was checked out. I had shifted. I remember saying, like, when I speak in Spanish, I'm a different person. Because when I speak in English, I can still hear my parents' voices. I can still hear the church. I can still hear all that conditioning. But in Spanish, it was like I was a new person. And coming back to the United States for law school, I remember saying it was the toughest decision of my life, but that conditioning was still intertwined in who I thought I was. And I I figured I'd regret it if I didn't do that. So before jumping into all of that, that was kind of the background of my upbringing and then stepping away from that conditioning and then getting sucked back in, in a sense.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I was going to say that had to be difficult because not a lot of people have that experience. So for
0: myself, I just grew up in South Florida. I didn't really get to travel too much. I went to maybe a few states, but for the most part, I never really traveled abroad. I didn't have any type of culture shock. So I only saw what was around me and I didn't really know any different. I only recently traveled to other countries. So the fact that you got this when you were 16 years old before you really went off to college, I mean, that's that's like a pivotal moment. It gives you a glimpse into another world, something that probably feels a little bit more in alignment, as you keep mentioning, like this conditioning. So you had a pause from the conditioning. It's like, do you really want to go back into this? So I imagine that there was, it was a hard decision to make to jump back into this, considering that there was probably some, it wasn't really congruent with
1: what you were feeling internally, like in in your heart to jump back into law school. I remember just taking a step back. I remember in fifth grade was when I went to public school and I had been so sheltered prior to that. I remember thinking it was the first time I met a non-Christian. There was a, a kid in my class who was from Bangladesh and I was surprised he didn't have horns in his head, like how ridiculous it sounds. I actually thought you know, non-Christians would look totally different because I was so protected in that way or what was considered being protected. And my mind was just like the curiosity. I'm such a curious person. And I was like, people live different ways. And I'm sure you've heard, you know, this idea of the religion you are is determined on most likely where you were born and who your parents are. And it doesn't just apply to your religion. It's you know the culture you grow up in. It's the language you speak. It's so many different things that I didn't choose for myself. So being able to, to leave a, an environment that I didn't necessarily feel like I, I belonged in, but I was born into, allowed me to realize like, wow, I get to choose my destiny. I get to choose who I am what language I speak, what culture I accept, what religion or spiritual uh, decisions I make for myself. Mm -hmm. Which,
0: if you didn't have the awareness, I guess, to see that people live differently at such a young age, it's like the path has already been laid out for us for the most part. So from a very young age, if you're experiencing that this kid from Bangladesh, you thought that maybe he was the devil or something because he didn't look or act a certain way. He had different customs than you did. Like this starts at a very, very young age. So we, we almost need like exposure to other cultures, other religions, other ways of living when we're kids, which we may not get if we're going to preschool or through, I like to call it the indoctrination camps that our school, which I believe condition us and they don't really teach us the things that we need to know. They don't really teach us how to be human. So you returned back to the United States and you did go to law school. How long were you practicing
1: and what was the defining moment to go in another direction? Okay. So I just let me reflect for a second here. I was living in South America. I came back 2013, uh, finished law school at the end of 2015. And then I practiced until June of 2021. So whatever the math looks like, I think it was like five years okay. or six years. Yeah. Um, so I, I got my dream job. That was, you know, the, the, the luckiest, I think, maybe I've ever been. Not because of the money I was making, not because of the status, not because of any of those things. I, I took a job right out of law school, got some great experience. Eighteen months after that, I took my dream job. It was the job I wanted going into law school. You know, complex cases, international. Um, it was exactly what I wanted to be doing. It's what I thought I went to law school for. And I heard this this quote recently. It was like I, I climbed the ladder, and I realized I didn't like the view. And for me, I didn't have to get to the top of the ladder to realize I didn't like the view. It was like, you know, a cul-de-sac, a dead end. I, I could see how my life was going to play out if I stuck it out. And I think there's a misconception that a lot of people have when they hear that, you know, I quit my job, uh, you know, left the corporate world and, and living in a van or building a house out of mud or backpacking or whatever it is. It's like, oh, the, the hippie couldn't couldn't handle it. He got burnt out. And I get it, like some people do get burnt out. There's a lot of hours involved in practicing law or a lot of other careers. But for me, I'm a hard worker. I could have done it. I could have done my whole life grinding and I didn't feel burnt out. Five years wasn't that long. I was just fortunate enough to realize this isn't fulfilling me. This isn't the life I wanna live. I either jump off on this exit or I just keep going. And I knew where that was going to take me. I didn't want to be there.
0: Did uh, How did you get this glimpse into the future? Like, did you just see others that were around you? Because, I mean, this was your dream job. It's like you made it.
1: Yeah, that's a, a difficult question for me. I'm still processing it because a lot of people will say, like, it's that aha moment. It's that lightning strike. And for me, it really was breadcrumbs. It was little by little, a lot of different things aligning Um, people will say like when, when the students ready, the teacher will appear and it wasn't just one teacher, but little by little, as I was ready, things started to unveil themselves to me in the perfect way. So I still love traveling whenever I, you know, finish a case and I had a few days off, I would, you know, leave Thursday night take Friday off and then take the red eye Monday morning. So I'd, you know, get a four day trip somewhere in Central America or like shoot over to Europe or like I was still traveling. I think I did, you know, 35 countries by the time I was 19. Um, I was jumping around. And even during law school, I was still, you know, trying to travel as much as possible. And so I still had this adventurous spirit within me, but I was tethered to this idea of to be successful. This is the path I have to take. And getting back to your question, I think the traveling really was pushing the door open little by little, but then it was also different people I met in my life, plant medicine, uh, transformational training I did, um, just conversations with strangers. Like One of the things I love most about traveling isn't just seeing the places, but at, at least in my experience, I'm more open to have impactful experiences because I'm not busy. I'm not rushing. Like I'm Mm -hmm. convinced, even if you're in your own city, if you were just to stop and talk to people on the sidewalk, you would have the most incredible experiences. But we're also busy. We're rushing by each other. When you travel, you're sitting at a hostel, not sure, you know, what the plan is for the day. You have breakfast with, you know, a bunch of people from, I don't know, Zimbabwe. And you start learning and hearing these things. And it's just like, boom because I was ready to listen.
0: you have conversations that are deeper. They're not superficial, which you're kind of in the rat race here in the United States. I mean, we're presented with the American dream starts at a young age. And a question that I would have for you, because I know that you mentioned this and I think a lot of mentioned it too, in one of your videos is, would you say that being becoming a lawyer was actually your dream job or was this some type of expectation
1: that was put on you that wasn't necessarily yours? I will preface this with, I love my parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is something. So I came to this aha moment recently. Uh, well, recently, a couple years ago, I did Vipassana, which is a 10-day meditation retreat, silent retreat. You meditate for 10 to 12 hours a day. Really amazing experience. Highly recommend it. And right out of coming coming out of that retreat, I was just writing. I was processing so many things from my childhood. Everything was just flowing, and I got this question in my head of why did I become a lawyer? Like why did I do it? And I remember as a kid, my father would always ask me when he introduced me to people. He would introduce me to to a lot of adults in his profession, and oh, Josiah, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was always, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to go to Harvard because it's the best. And I remember I asked my parents, I asked some family friends, like, when did that start? And it was either five or six years old that I started telling people I wanted to be a lawyer. And, you know, we all know five-year-olds don't know what a lawyer is. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, even in high school, it's like kind of abstract of, oh, they kind of do this and they go to court. But like really understanding what a lawyer is at five, six years old, like, that's not possible, at least I don't think so. And so that conditioning started. And of course, you know, my father also went to law school. Um, it was something that he, you know, I'm sure was conditioned in a, in, a, in part, whether through his family, the system, society. And I realized that it was something that was inevitable. Like, this is what I'm going to do, because I'm the lawyer of the family. Like, it was an expectation. And from a place of love, I truly believe they were trying to, my parents were trying to set me up for success and surviving in this rat race, in this world, though it wasn't something that I believe I chose for myself. It's almost like you just needed to, in order to survive in the rat race, in order to get by. But ultimately it's not really fulfilling. And even, I will say though, even in where I am today and by no means is my journey over. I'm not saying I've arrived, though. I do feel like I'm in a place where I'm I'm more authentic with myself and living like my true purpose, at least on that uh, path. I will say becoming an attorney was a necessary, I don't want to say evil, but like a necessary check mm-hmm. because I believe like how my mind operates. I had to make that check mark to know that that wasn't my destiny Mm -hmm. or else I always would have wondered the whole like, what if? And it's a very expensive, very long what if to check off, but I, I had to do it. And it helped me wake up to all these things that people were selling me, whether it was on social media, the movies, Hollywood, my family, like this is your journey. This is what will make you happy. This is what will make you wealthy. This is what will make you dot, dot, dot. I realized, at least in my experience, it wasn't going to be that.
0: This seems to be a recurring theme for all my guests uh, that I've had on the show. Like, I'll have trainers come on. They've worked with, they, they currently work with people that make 30, 40, 50 million dollars. Like, they should have it all, but there's something that's always missing and they can't buy back their health. And then I remember I had Clint Ober on the show. He had a very successful career and he mentions how. He was living on a mountaintop. He had a home full of all this beautiful art and he was faced with um, a near death experience. And he decided just to give it up that the stuff that he had accrued, he didn't own The stuff owned him. Yeah. So these were painted a picture that success and all this hard work, which it, it'll help us survive, but it won't necessarily help us thrive. And it may be, lead us away from what we're actually supposed to be doing in this world so it's it's tricky i guess if you want to call it like the matrix it seems like you're living outside of the matrix right now uh and with the whole covid hysteria that happened two years ago i know that's when you decided to jump into your sprinter van it's kind of when i decided to make the decision that i actually wanted to settle down and create like a family and take things a little bit more serious with my relationships too. It's like, oh man, I don't know where the world is going now. Like things could end next week. Our world could be entirely flipped upside down. So it's time to like really start taking action and living something that's more in alignment with who I feel like I should be or not should be, but like I am.
1: And uh, Yeah. Yeah. I was on Mount Everest when the pandemic started. So I left I was still working at the law firm, but I went to Nepal um, in January of 2020. Um, and with China being on the border of Nepal, all of the Chinese people for the Chinese New Year were going back to China. They were all being called back because the pandemic started there a few months before it hit in March um, in the United States or be- before it came became a big deal. My plan was to scope out, you know, take a trip with the vacation I had accrued from the law firm, come back, quit, Fly to India and do a year from India to New Zealand. That was, you know, I was ready to be off the grid. I was ready to do all those things. I never considered traveling in the US in large part because I didn't think I could be my authentic self speaking English, living in the United States, because I associated so much of that with my childhood. I remember kind of uh, sidestep uh, if if we can take a step over and um when i did the the transformational training that i met jade at uh, there was one of these questions like where do you want to be in your spiritual journey and for me it was like i don't have a spiritual journey like christianity my upbringing has a monopoly on what it means to be spiritual i'm not in that world and it was just like this this moment where i was able to say okay the pandemic hit i have to stay in the united states Built out the sprinter van and started traveling with Laura and ended up quitting my job during that time. But I always thought that I had to leave the United States to have this like wake up experience to disconnect from the Matrix. And what I realized is, at least in my experience, you don't, I don't have to leave this country. I don't even have to quit my job to wake up. I just don't think that I could have done it. I don't, I'm not saying you, right? Like a lot of people are living in a city saying, you know, I don't want to go build a house. I don't want to go live in a van. I want, you know, to have this awareness. I want to live an authentic life, but I don't want to leave society. And for me, I didn't have the strength. The influences were too profound. They were too strong for me to break away from those chains. But the pandemic showed me like, I've been wearing these chains. And I can break away from them, whether or not I'm in this system or that system, you know, it's just acknowledging what they are and having that awareness and that accountability and that community to align to my authentic purpose rather than giving into the matrix. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at the actual movie, the matrix, I think a bit like Neil goes into the matrix, but he still knows who he is he's still living like his authentic purpose when he's in the matrix. He doesn't have to step outside the matrix to be, and this is something I'm kind of thinking through right now on the spot. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'll change my mind in five minutes. But for me, I had to leave. I had to escape in order to unlearn so many things. Like I know you know a lot about health. If you're sick and the doctor can't figure out what it is, they say, take everything out of your diet and reintroduce one thing at a time. I had to do that because I was really sick.
0: I mean, there's a quote that says, um, well, there's a few quotes here, environment dictates behavior. So it makes sense that you needed to remove yourself from the environment. And then also you can't heal in the same environment that made you sick. So Mm -hmm. you may needed to have removed yourself unless like something in the environment, if you can kind of manipulate it somehow to work in your favor and, I think what you're getting at here is that it's a mental construct. It's like um, an elephant, a circus elephant. You could have a chain on them, but the chain might not be attached to anything, so they're not going to go anywhere. It's, yeah, uh, you're you're kind of just stuck in this place. Meanwhile, the chain's not really attached to anything. You're it's it's a figment of your imagination. So I, I was actually going to ask you, do you feel like you can do both kind of dip into one dip into the other which you kind of were doing at the time if you were a lawyer and then you were traveling on the weekends and such um but it's almost like you have one foot in the door one foot out so i i I think it'd be kind of difficult to operate in both it's like once you come back to it's like eh, eventually i feel like one would overtake the other you got to be pulled in one direction or the other
1: Yeah, I I can only speak to my experience. So I'm not, I don't want to project this and say what someone else can or can't do. But I know in my experience, I I think the influence was too strong. Like I like to say like, oh, I don't care what anyone thinks. Like no one's going to influence me. I'm going to do what I want to do. But even at like a subconscious level, there were a lot of influences. Like I was spending, you know, thousands of dollars on suits, not because I wanted to spend them. not not because I wanted to spend that much, but because that was an expectation. Because in my job, if you're not wearing an expensive suit and a nice watch and driving this kind of car, clients will think you're not good at your job because you're not getting paid enough. Because if you're getting paid enough, you would, you know, buy more expensive things. And that's how you like show status and all these types of things. So for me, it was influencing me, even if I was aware of it, I was still doing those things because that's the way the game is played. Right. And it's this idea of waking up, like, like a lot of people will talk about this, right? If I were sleeping and I wanted to wake up, I wanted to have this like sense of, of consciousness. I wanted to connect with my inner self, my true self, my higher self, whatever you want to call it. Could I have done that in the same environment? Maybe, probably not. Like there are all these little things like, Oh, I started going to yoga. I started meditating. I met this person, but 60 hours a week I was still in an office surrounded by other people I don't know if they were quote unquote sleeping and I don't say that in a condescending way I just know they weren't showing up in a way where I felt inspired to wake up and so the short answer is I don't think so um I hope that the environment changes for a lot of people where they can still be in those, you know, cities near their family, whatever it is, like where there is that comfort and they can wake up. For me, I had to, the way, the way Lauda and I will say it is step out from like traditional comforts. We traded those for freedom, peace, um, adventure and, and the possibility of connecting with our higher selves. I think you're muted. Yeah, you're muted. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, baby was right. in
0: the background. I want to make sure we didn't catch him. Uh, what comes up for me as you're saying that is it's kind of like I feel like it would rub your soul the wrong way. If you continue to stay in that environment, being around those people, it's like these relationships that are here are not fulfilling me. Um uh, these people may be asleep, as you're saying, and they're not really in alignment. So any conversation isn't really impactful. As you're saying, you can go like on the city streets and just have a conversation with someone that you normally wouldn't have. I I think it would be very difficult to like stay in that environment. Eventually, at some point, it's going to just manifest in some other type of way. Like I, even disease. Um, I don't believe in just catching viruses or uh, coming down with some type of illness. Like it's a manifestation of something that's going on internally and it's expressing itself externally. And you can try to mask it as much as you want. You could try to put these band-aids. Maybe you can go on a weekend trip or you can take a staycation, but ultimately your soul is trying to tell you like, Hey, I I really don't like this stuff. Can we do something different?
1: Yeah, I I one of the my mentors told me recently I was in a challenging environment and I just wanted to leave. I wanted to escape. It was building this house, right? We're, mm-hmm. My partner and I, we're building this house. We have no experience and we're here in the middle of Colombia, no real resources out in like rural mountainous terrain. And I was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm exhausted. I don't know what I'm doing. And I call my mentor. I'm like, okay, what, what do I do? And he asked me, "It's like, what do you want most in life? And I told him, I want peace. I wanna be able to just have peace in any environment just to maintain my peace. And he says, well, that's exactly what the universe is offering you. If you walked into a peaceful environment and you were able to maintain peace, that wouldn't be any sort of accomplishment. That'd just be like, oh, cool. You can adapt to your environment. But when you can step into the storm and be the calm, that's where you know that you've achieved that, that sense of internal peace. And I hope he's right in the sense that there are those, you know, whether you want to call them angels or guides or gurus or whatever that are able to walk into, you know, this world in the United States, for example, where the rat race is going and no one has time to slow down and they can be that, that teacher, that moment of peace where someone's just like, Whoa, it, Stops them in their tracks and it and it helps them go on that that other path. I'm not saying, you know, that person's going to want to stay in that environment. But I hope that there are those people willing, you know, to have gone through the process of waking up. And I know this is an abstract concept. We can jump into it more if you want. And then come back or come, you know, into these environments where a lot of people are sleeping and don't even know how to go about waking up or what it will be. Because, you know, and I'm not saying that person's waking someone else else up. I think it's just a reminder. Hey, is this who you've always been? Is this who you want to be? In whatever way that is, right? Like Lauda, it's it's all about music. Like she'll connect with music in a way where that's how she's w- woken up from this, you know, chaotic world. She'll just connect in a way where it's it's internal. It fills her up, and music has been her biggest teacher. For me, that's not it, right? It, it's been something very different. But for everyone, I think it's something different, and I hope that they're, they're individuals or, you know, divine beings or whatever it is that are within the society that you're living in, that I was living in, that are doing the work. Because I truly believe that this world could be could be very different in a positive way, if more and more people are willing to ask themselves those tough questions. Mm-hmm. It's fun to think about. <laughs> the way that
0: what you're talking about shows up for me is it's There's things that will happen that you can't just chalk up to coincidence. And if you're aware enough to pay attention to it, like the signs are always there. It's like something that catches your eye. And it's just like, huh, I was just thinking about that, even though we have like cell phones now and uh, the cell phones can kind of pick up on whatever you're thinking and saying and then they'll shoot ads their way. It's like, well, God, the universe has a way of sending you the messages that you need to hear at at the time that you need to hear them if you're willing to pick up the phone, if you're willing to actually take a look and see for what it is. So before we get into, we could, we could jump into like what the waking up looks like, but I want to know when you quit your job then, when you decided to go for it, what did that feel like? Was there like um, a sense of regret? Did you feel like you were going to disappoint your parents? Did it take a while to reintegrate and find out what the hell you were going to do?
1: yeah so uh not so much with my parents because i i'd been the black sheep of the family at least i saw myself as the black sheep of the family uh most of my life um you know i was all about exploring traveling getting hurt whatever it was like just the way i lived my life was different And so I don't think they were especially surprised they would call it a gap year. Oh, you know, my son's taking a gap year or the way my dad would rationalize it is, you know, my son's done so well for himself. He's retiring before he's 30, right? Like, you know how parents are. And for me, it was, to answer your question, it was challenging to take that last step into the unknown. Like, yes, I knew we were going to get in the van and start driving, but I wasn't sure what was going to happen after that. It was a huge support to have Lauda, um, a very just like wild experience. We met one night in Miami, then a couple years later reconnected. She traveled to the US and we ended up from that day traveling six months in the. US, then Mexico and then Ecuador and then Colombia. And you know, it just <laughs> it's wild because we knew each other one night before
0: mm-hmm.
1: completely like jumping into this adventure together. And she moved to the US when I was finishing the band the last few months she was living with me and she was a great encouragement of like, okay, what's your last day? When are you going to quit? And for me, it was like, okay, what's the last weekend I can get where it's like a long weekend, I'm still getting paid for one more day, because two weeks salary in the job I was working was more than I was expecting to make, you know, in three months off, you know, passive income or whatever it was. Like I was going from a high six figure job to significantly less, uh, especially cause I was planning, you know, how much could I live off of like this fire, like early retirement just for myself. And then I met Lauda and so the numbers shifted. But at the end of the day, it wasn't as scary taking that last step off. Like I tried to squeeze out every cent I could before I quit. But what was, I think, symbolically a bigger step for me that my parents don't even know, is filing for retirement. So I took the bar exam in Florida. Um, I'm I'm still an attorney, but I put in like the retirement. And if I don't unretire within three years, I would have to take the bar exam again to practice law. So something that I worked very hard for, right, going to law school, passing the bar, and filing to say, I can't practice law right now. And I don't want to practice law. That was a couple of years ago. So if within a year, I don't start practicing again, like I'll never be an attorney again. Right. And at 32, like that's wild to my parents who thought I was taking a one year, you know, gap year. Uh, so yeah, it, it's, I think it's always scary stepping into the unknown before you do it. But like, there's a voice, I think, inside of all of us, at least inside of me, that when people ask, like, do you think you'll regret it? And I told them, I know the only thing I'll regret is not doing it sooner. Like, I knew that 100%, but that doesn't mean it's not still scary, right? If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's like the the job provided you with a false sense of security. I mean, it's, it's a way to get by. Like, you need income in order to actually get food, pay rent, uh, whatever it is, just to live but would you say that security wasn't really true? Like it was a false sense of security and you feel even
1: more secure now that you don't have to worry about these things? I would say in terms of like stress, anxiety, back pain, so many things have just like fallen off the table that were very present in my life prior. So I'm not worrying about certain things. Finances are different. Like I think about money But I would think about money before, too. I would check my bank account more before watching it grow. And now where it's more stable, just knowing I'm I'm spending less. I I will say, though, for me, it wasn't just the financial security. And I'm going to be a bit vulnerable here. And just thinking as you say that, it was the status Like so much of it is whether it's making my parents proud, whether it's like, look at what I achieved. Because even now, whether it's doing van life and meeting people on the road or backpacking or even in these small towns, you know, people, oh, look at this kid, you know, making like little um, cob houses. Like what is he, he's playing with mud. Like what has he achieved? But I feel like there is a certain amount of credibility I have when I say like, Rather than just saying, oh, I did van life or oh, I'm building a house. It's I was practicing law at this firm for this long, making this amount of money. And then I stepped into the unknown. It's like it's still prefacing what I'm doing now by showing that I could hack it, that I was good enough, that I succeeded in that realm within society. And I think people do tend to take me more seriously. Uh, I volunteer with a foundation for living kidney donation. I, I donated a kidney a few years back. And it's something I, you know, did some volunteer work for, and doing like part time mentoring people through the process. And oftentimes, I feel for my ego, I need to tell them, you know, I was an attorney, I did this, just so they can take me seriously. Whether or not that's a fact or something in my mind, I realized that the stability wasn't just financial; it was also status based.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, you so you played the game. You have to know once I like. Once you know one side of the coin, you can then see the other one. So you mentioned status, and this is something that I actually think about with Jax, our our son. It's like, what would I expect him to do? And I really don't have any crazy expectations for him. I don't want him to do anything that he doesn't really want to do. I don't if he I may be upset if he becomes like a pharmacist or something just because I'm kind of against big pharma, but I I don't really care what he pursues as long as it's something that's fulfilling to him and if he makes an impact on the world, then that's great. But as far as having a certain expectation, like, oh, he needs to do this, he needs to get good grades. Like, no, I I just want him to be free. I want him to have a life that uh I wasn't really I mean we all kind of weren't because we all get sucked into this, but I feel like we're all kind of trapped. We were born into this life that leads us
1: in a way that isn't really overall fulfilling. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, I'm trying to think of the movie. It won some awards. It's a, this student that's drumming and and the teacher pushes him super hard. Do you remember the name of that movie? No, I, I would say like Drumline with Nick Cannon. No, it, it's not that it's, um, oh, it's the name of the song that he plays at the end of the movie. Whiplash, whiplash actually a really good movie and just the basis is the the teacher pushes the kids so hard and they're like two perspectives if you watch the movie you have the people that are like wow it's so incredible at the end of the movie he gives this like incredible solo that he absolutely never would have been able to perform at that level if he wasn't pushed that hard and then there are the people that are like wow like that is you know creating so many traumas in this kid's life like he's gone through the ringer and that's not healthy at all. And in the movie, um, you know, students are pushed to the limit and, you know, bad things happen, all, all that type of stuff. And I think about it when I was, when I was younger, I would have thought like, oh yeah, that's amazing that he was able to create this masterpiece that never would have been created because within the capitalist system, at least in my experience of it, it's like create, the absolute best at any cost, it doesn't matter if you have five kids and four of them commit suicide, but one of them becomes the president, it was worth it because you pushed that one hard enough and he didn't break. Mm
0: -hmm. And I
1: truly think a lot of people think like that because that's how I thought. Like, I know it doesn't make me sound like a good person, but that's how I thought. And what you say now, I think it's so beautiful that kids are being raised in a way where it's like, I just want you to be authentic. I just want you to be true to who you are. And not feel like you have to wear a mask and pretend and fit into the system that's unhealthy to say the least. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: It's beautiful because having parents that are aware of that and creating that environment will change the world. I believe. I mean,
0: it's new. It's not like we have a script to follow in order to do this. So, um, I mean, we'll just kind of see where this goes. And I'm curious, with the movie that you're mentioning, Whiplash, I have not seen it before, but it's like, okay, the kid had this
1: outstanding performance at the end. Was he happy? No, he punches through. I mean, no, no, he's miserable. And there's there's this there's this narrative that I think we're taught of like this, um, what is it? Not the starving artist, the like tormented artist, right? You have to go through the heartbreak. You have to go through like all of these emotions in order to really create beautiful art that's ridiculous. Like Mm. people create art from love. People create art from gratitude. People write incredible, you know, poetry or whatever it is from a place of true peace. And yet there's this narrative that you have to grind. You have to have a, a side hustle. You have to make this much money. You have to boom, 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 check all these boxes in order to make it in order to be famous in order to whatever it is you want. And I just think it's really sad because I understand those pressures and what they did to me and all it was doing was, you know, a, a, a false sense of confidence, like you say, within me that I was showing everyone that I could, I could make it, you know, I could play the game and I could beat everyone at it because I thought that was the only game I could play. I didn't realize that this boat we were all rowing in, I was like, oh, I'm going to get a comfortable seat. If I have to be in this boat, why not just jump off and swim to shore?
0: Because mm-hmm.
1: they don't tell you that's an option.
0: I mean, it's a it's a really tricky conversation because to some extent, I feel like you do need to face some struggle and adversity. Um, I'm sure that looks different. Like, say, for instance, uh, tribes or a civilization that we don't even know about that hasn't been introduced to capitalism. What challenges and struggles do they face that allow them to actually grow because if you just coddle and protect your kids then they don't really have the opportunity to flourish as well they're kind of going to you may stunt them so as a parent now i know that i can't just baby him but i i trust that he'll be able to discern and make his own way so i guess what i want to lead into with that is you have been what some people would consider successful you you made it right you had the dream job uh which i'm very curious in a year when uh, your three years of non-practice comes up what that's going to look like if you if you are still at that fork in the road it's like yeah i'm heading this way or if it's like uh do i really want to give that up but um what would you say success looks like for you now How do we be, what is success and what does status look
1: like when you were out of the rat race? Do you even care? Yeah, I guess for me, there's success that other people see, right? So when you say like I was successful, yes, from other people's perspective, yes. But I was, you know, binge drinking. I was sleeping with different women very often. (laughs) Um, I don't know if we should edit that, but (laughs) Uh, You know, I was was doing a lot of things that weren't healthy for me. I I didn't feel fulfilled. I felt empty in a lot of ways. So in that sense, I was successful financially. I had the status, but was I successful? And now, am I successful? I don't know what other people would say in terms of, you know, whether or not I'm successful. I know when I wake up in the morning, I don't have a mirror, so I, I don't look at myself in the mirror, but, you know, closing my eyes, meditating, having time, you know, I am rich with time. I do what I choose to do with my time. It doesn't mean I don't stay busy, but there are things that I've, I've taken on voluntarily, not by necessity. And I think that is a huge uh, testament to, to success. I think being able to live an authentic life is something that. Maybe, you know, most of us are, are capable of, obviously there's a carve out for people that are in like abusive situations, they can't escape and we won't go into that. But for, for the most part, most of us have the option to be authentic and we're choosing another path. For me, I feel supported in living an authentic life by my community, by the people that I've chosen, you know, to, to be in my life, whether it's my partner, my close friends, you know, certain family members. And so in that sense, getting to choose my own path and not knowing what it looks like because I'm, you know, only seeing the little flashlight, like what the next rock is that I step on and being maybe not comfortable with that, but fully accepting that and being at peace with that. I mean, that's the ultimate success for me. I mean, I feel like that's actual living
0: when you don't have the monotonous routine when every day isn't Groundhog Day where you get up, you do the same thing, you brush your teeth the same way, do your hair, walk out, drive to the same job that you probably hate, go home, eat, maybe process food, and then do the same thing and repeat for years and years and years and years. And then when you are actually supposed to retire, you pretty much just wasted your life.
1: Yeah, and it's easy to think of it as like, oh, wow, this this kid has such an adventurous life. He's traveling, he's doing this, he's doing that. I will say with building this cob house, like we thought it might take three months. It took, you know, seven months over the course of a year to build. And there were a lot of monotonous days where it was like, what are we doing? But it was our choice. We weren't making any money. We were building our own house for ourselves and we learned so much. So in terms of adversity, I would say, you know, being in a relationship, especially with someone from a different culture, will bring a lot of adversity. Uh, Lauda has been my greatest teacher uh, by far. And building this house, we, we really honored the process full moon a couple of days ago and, you know, and really took in all of the lessons we learned. And in that sense, like there were a lot of monotonous days But we found the beauty in it and the struggle that taught us so much so i won't pretend that my life is like you know oh it's fabulous it's every day is an adventure i mean i've you know (laughs) there's been a lot of discomfort we've been living without electricity for the year as we were building this house we've you know when we were traveling we did you know three months in ecuador i think we spent what was it, like $1,400 between the two of us for three months,
0: right? Mm -hmm.
1: Like we were doing volunteer projects. We Mm -hmm. were traveling very cheap um, in large part because, you know, we don't really get to choose where we go with visa status. We kind of are traveling all over the world, um, not just optionally, but like we have to, if we want to stay together. So there's been a lot of discomfort. It's not all, you know, rainbows and butterflies, Mm -hmm. but that's some of the discomfort and that's some of the adversity that's created. The biggest lessons in my life.
0: And as you state, you get to choose that you're doing this. You're not just obligated to do so in order to maintain your lifestyle because you did choose this. So what struggles did you face when you were in the van prior to building your house? And I I do want to get into that. I want to save it for a little bit later. What this whole process looked like and what your future looks like. But when you transition to the band, because I, I feel like that seems like something that's a little bit um, more in reach, especially for people like myself that have had these thoughts. It's like, how did, did you build out your van in a certain way? What necessities did you feel like you needed? And overall, how did your life look like when you made that transition?
1: Yeah, so uh, I bought the van before I quit my job uh, so I was still working but because of the pandemic I was able to work remote and so I was building anytime I could. took about six months to build it out loud helped me with the last few months of it. Uh, cost outside of the cost of the you know empty van, I think it was like 10 grand uh, of materials the electrical system, the water system, the bed, the you know the whole thing. Um, and we were completely off grid solar panels on the top of it. Um, the alternator also charges the batteries as you're driving and, you know, the whole system, you just, you know, hashtag van life, you can figure out all that type of stuff. And so there are like, there are things like that you take for granted in day-to-day life. At least I did where your water comes from, where you're, you know, you have to dump your composting toilet and all those types of things that you get used to pretty quick, at least I did. So the discomfort, um, the space, I guess I would say like it's a much smaller space. We were living in like 12, a 12 foot van. Uh, So it's pretty small uh, end to end. Though we spent so much time outside, most people that are doing van life are following the weather. So they, you know, are avoiding the rain. You know, they're in nice weather most of the year, whether they're going down to Mexico or up to Canada or staying in the U.S., whatever it is. But for me, I thought it would be a lot more difficult. It really was just stepping into the unknown. I know I mentioned that before, but it's making the decision. After that, humans are incredible. Like we are incredible problem solvers. We can figure things out. And I know the last few generations We've lost the ability to plant food, build houses. So take care of ourselves. And, you know, a lot of us have become dependent on the system. But if you challenge yourself guided to step away from it, you will figure it out. And there will be some discomfort, but it's not as tough as you think.
0: I'm trying to envision like your very last day when you decided to just up and leave and get in the van. It's like, okay, this is. This is real. We don't know where we're going, but we're gonna make it happen. And besides the van and the initial cost of the electricity, what would your expenses
1: look like month to month? How much has it cost you to like live yearly? Three things: we would pay for gas, we pay it for groceries, and then car insurance. That was it. Uh, you know, if we needed clothes, we go to Goodwill, like you know, use type stuff. But for the most part, I mean we really just got rid of things like I had boxes and boxes of suits and all sorts of things that I I got rid of. And I mean, now we're living a a minimalist lifestyle by far. uh, And it's liberating, like getting rid of things. I was laughing uh, even what to wear for this uh, (laughs) podcast today or like video podcast. I was like, I I don't have to think about what to wear because I just got back from where we're building our house last night, we finished and all my clothes, like work clothes are dirty, you know, two t-shirts. I just put a t-shirt on like that are, that I would wear. And it sounds like, oh, poor kid. Like he doesn't have clothes. For me, I remember opening up my wardrobe and having to choose between, you know, 18 suits, I think is what like. I remember thinking like, oh, I have this, all of these colors, all of these tie combinations. And not that I couldn't do it. And decision fatigue is real. I will tell you that. But it's wild to me to think that I was taking so much time on things that didn't matter. And living a minimalist lifestyle, forcing yourself into a van. It's amazing. It's amazing to not have to worry about all those things.
0: I'm glad you just said that as Jade decides to walk out, because that's something that uh, she gets at me for, for only wanting to wear like white and black shirts. I'm like, this makes my life so much simpler. I have, I want two white shirts, two black shirts, and maybe two pairs of jeans. And then it makes my life so much simpler. I don't have to sift through all this. So you went from the thousand dollar suits to goodwill. And do you feel like When you made that switch, we have a guest, by the way. Hey, bud. Hey, buddy. When you made that switch, did you feel like your status immediately just dropped or
1: you didn't care? Like, what did it matter? So I wasn't brushing shoulders with the same people, right? It wasn't until... Maybe six months into van life, I went to a wedding of a buddy that uh, I went to elementary school with, actually. And I remember showing up to the wedding and you get assigned to a table and I'm wearing, I think I borrowed a button up from my father, actually, because it was a few hours from where they live, stopped at their house, put on some of my dad's clothes to go to this wedding because I didn't have any dressing clothes anymore. And I just felt so disconnected. I mean, I love you, bro, but it was... I was surrounded by people talking about things that, like, it was refreshing because I, I don't do that. I wasn't doing that small talk anymore. I was literally sitting around fires with strangers talking about their deepest, you know, secrets and their struggles. And it's, it's like, you know, when you're on an airplane, at least before everyone had their iPods or uh, iPhones and headphones and all that type of stuff. You talk to the person next to you, and it was like the greatest therapy session because you're never going to see this person again. There's no social media like years ago, but it was so beautiful because it's like you meet this stranger and you just get to share with them. For me, doing van life, it was the same type of thing. We're able to connect with these people because you end up parking at the same spot in the middle of the wilderness. You spend a day or two there, you share beautiful stories around the fire with a diverse group of people, and then everyone goes their separate ways. But I showed up at this wedding in this big city in Arizona and everyone was talking about all these things that I used to talk about. And I felt so out of place. I felt so like, uh, and I had quit drinking at that point. It's, it's been two years now, basically right before starting van life, I decided to stop drinking alcohol because I realized I was using it to fit into an environment that wasn't serving me or that I, I didn't feel like I belonged in. I had to put that mask on and liquor helped. Right, especially living in Miami, like it's a huge part of the social scene. And being at that wedding, not drinking, not even wearing my own clothes, it was just such a disconnect. It was like that starch wow, that's how it used to be. And this is how it is now. I'm sure
0: it reinforced your decision. And I love that you bring up the alcohol because I'm curious how much fun people would be having. Uh, This was true for myself, too. It's like I couldn't go into the same environments. I couldn't go into the same social circles anymore because I just wasn't operating at that wavelength. And what you're talking about resonates really strongly with me because I don't really like superficial talk. I don't watch sports anymore. I really don't watch movies either. Um, I just rather read. So anytime that something happens in the news or this person, that person's like, I don't know about it. I almost don't know how to respond. And my facial expressions kind of, they probably give it away. I'm very uh, expressive. So I can't even pretend to honestly care about whatever the conversation is. Because it, it's like, why are we talking about this right now? This is ultimately a waste of time. It's like, I don't even think that you care about this. You're just trying to, uh, I guess, close the gap or create some type of noise. But it, it's not important. It's probably one of my favorite books. Uh, It's called essentialism, and it states that there's really not a whole lot that is truly important. So we mentioned before, or we talked about before, like what success looks like for you now that you're kind of out of the rat race. What do you consider to be
1: important? What's important? I mean, other than the obvious, you know, food, water, that type of stuff. I keep coming back to this narrative of living an authentic life for me and, and caring about other people. Like when you talk about having these superficial conversations, whether it's at a wedding or with family or whatever it is, it's so easy for people to see me as who I used to be and try to fit me back into that box and taking a step outside of the box and showing up authentically, but not in a judgmental way, in a loving way and saying, Hey, I might not care about you know, the sports that we're talking about, but I care about you and creating that safe container, that space where people feel like they can be authentic. Cause for me, one reason, like I won't say one reason, Laura and I got married like a couple days before we got engaged, we had broken up. We're like, we're going our separate ways. Because of the visa, you can't be in this country. I can't be in that country. We can't make it work. We can't be in the same place. And we met this couple, incredible couple. We did an interview. Um, with them. um, I think it's called Wake Up on our YouTube channel. And it was just happens. We met them on the beach and they were the weirdest people you'd ever meet, just wild people. But it gave us permission to show up in that authentic place. We could like, you know, that closet maybe you have, I know I had where it's like, that's the weird stuff. I don't show anyone. I keep that closed. I might not even really go in there. They had opened those closets up so much that I felt like I cracked my closet open and let some of it out because I wasn't going to be nearly as silly, wild, crazy, weird as they were. And having permission to do that and then looking at my partner and feeling seen, accepted, like I belonged in that relationship, even showing, you know, the dirty laundry or whatever it was and little by little opening that up, like that is authenticity, showing all of who I am and feeling safe to do that. So I think what's important is not just to be able to live an authentic life myself, but to create a space for other people to do the same thing. And if you're doing that within the system, if you love your job, you love where you're living, you love all those things, like more power to you. Like you're stronger than me. I couldn't do it. For me, I had to take a step away to connect with who I was. And I had to do that before I could create the space for other people to do the same thing. So that's what the channel is all about. Just being able to create that space for the weirdos, for the people that don't feel like they fit in the traditional system. And these are some some outlets. These are some ways that we've explored. And that's what's important to me, being able to create that container for those people.
0: No more masks. So what helped you get here? So you mentioned the transformation training. Could you go into that a little bit and do you feel like that helped you integrate where you're currently
1: at with just overall your lifestyle? Yeah. Yeah. So this was, oof, this was the end of 2018 and uh, that I did this transformational training. Uh, I, I like to look at it as like a experiential group therapy uh, where you all the traumas come up, all of the experiences you're triggered um your buttons are pushed at least mine were and then you get to see how you show up in the world the transformations you'd like to to take in order to be the person your higher self who you really want to be without getting into all the woo stuff that was very much there i went in because my former partner had done the training and realized that you know she was at a frequency that did not align with where i was at in that moment when i was practicing law and I wanted to do the training to show that it was this cult that had stolen my girlfriend at the time. Right. And so I went in, like trying to figure everything out undercover, and I drank the Kool Aid. It was, it was a really beautiful experience. It took some time, and I got a lot of feedback on, you know, what an asshole I was up until the point where I really broke through. But I remember in part two of the training, There's this experience where, you know, you're in the middle and you're making declarations without getting into the details. I claimed that I was going to quit my job within a year. And that was like crazy because I remember at the beginning people saying like, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to do this. I'm going to break up with my partner. I'm going to make these big life decisions. And I was like, these people are on this high, this mountaintop experience and they're drinking the Kool-Aid and they're going to come down and not know what they're going to do with their life because I was very calculated. I was very organized. I was very like this is my 10-year plan. And it just came out. It was one of those moments where I was like I'm going to quit my job within a year. I didn't know how that was going to happen. I didn't know what. But a year later, I had, you know, quit my job and I was in a van or I guess it was a year and a half later. Um so yeah, it was it was a huge experience. I met your wife or your partner um there really beautiful person. I'm, I'm so glad we connected. But so many moments when I reflect, it was, you know, people say like high school, like, oh, the good old days. It might not have felt like it when you were there. But looking back, it's like, oh, wow, I really miss those things. The training was one of those experiences for me. There were so many little seeds that were planted that I didn't even realize how beautiful they were until years later when they've, you know, grown into these beautiful flowers. Where I'm like, wow, it was a really special experience for me.
0: From what Jade has told me and what I've heard uh, from Alvi too, it's like, it's a really intense experience. So it's almost like, get it all in now. And then it may not make sense in the moment, but afterwards, generally I found that with like microdosing or plant medicines too. It's, you don't get all the integration right away. It's almost like an onion where layers are peeled back one by one by one. And it's like, well, where did this conditioning come from? Where did all these masks come from? And a question that I have for you is you said that you wanted to quit sometimes with building the house. We can get in the house now. Has there ever been a time when you wanted to run back to the comforts?
1: Yeah, it's not the comforts, but yes, it it is what it was uh, running back to the status. It's like what I said before. I, I used to talk about myself as like, oh, I'm an intellectual, I'm, you know, well-read, I'm cultured, I'm all these, you know, pretentious things. Like, that's how I would see myself because I thought that's where I got acceptance and that's where I would feel a sense of belonging and that I was successful and all these things. And I do love to use my mind. And so, you know, when friends will call me up for a legal problem and I'll, you know, write something up for them or help them with something, like there is that part of me, like my ego gets off. And I'm not saying like, oh, I shouldn't use my mind now because I'm not practicing law. Like there are many ways I get to challenge myself that I also enjoy. Though, yeah, there are those moments like when I get a taste of it and it. There are tests. There are tests. Absolutely. Like my dad maybe it wasn't my dad. So someone sent an attorney to reach out to me. He's like, oh, I saw your YouTube video. I think it's great that you're living off grid. You could start taking some cases part time and still practice law and like have it both ways, kind of like what you were saying. And I didn't take the bait because I knew chewing on it for a little while, it would taste good, at least to my ego and little by little, I let my ego get back in the driver's seat because for a long time I was like, okay, You know, I don't want control. My authentic self can't handle it. Let my ego take over and it would drive the car. And now little by little, I feel like I've taken my ego, put him, her, whatever in its place, like the role of just keeping me alive, keeping me in my body, nothing more. At least that's the goal. And I guess I am. I'm a bit scared that if I were to take a step back in, it would be so easy to get sucked back because there's so many payoffs, like not just the financial ones. But the whole system is designed to keep stroking our egos to make us feel like, wow, you're doing great. One more side hustle, one more case, put some extra hours in, you know, oh, what's your next goal? Like, this is one example. If someone's happy in their job, the question at these networking events or holidays or whatever it is, is, oh, well, you know, what's the next step? Oh, you're still in that position. Well, what what would the next step be? When are you going to get the promotion? That doesn't even make sense to me. Like now looking back, if you're happy somewhere and you're able to work less and grow in these other areas of your life, why would you say, oh, I'm going to keep neglecting all these other areas, you know, my family, my health, my mental health in order to just do better in this one area. No, this area is under check. Why should I give it more attention? And for me, I was very much on the partnership track. Let me just grind, 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 completely disregarded most of the other areas in my life. So yeah, a long answer to a simple question, but there have been the temptations. And fortunately, these last two years haven't given in.
0: <laughs> I was going to say, it must take like, um, there's discipline. There's discipline when it comes to what you eat, um, what type of things that you're consuming, whether that be media, books, whatever it may be, you have to be disciplined. So it's like... The moment that you come back into this matrix system, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah, you're comfortable, right? Just stay another day. Just stay another day. It's like it wants to just suck you back in because it's so convenient. It's like, no, we have everything here for you. And in, in regards to what you're saying with like growth, how we always feel like we need to do more. I mean, I'm guilty of this myself, too. It's like, OK, I have the podcast. I also... uh um, I'm a coach as well, and I make these waters. It's like I'm always looking for other things to do. Mm -hmm. But I find that when I continue to add things more and more, it's like I'm spreading myself thin, and then the areas that need tending to, those tend to get neglected. And I I feel like that's part of the the trap. It's like you just need to be driven. You need to be ambitious. You need more and more and more. Keep accruing more and more wealth. I hear it from more and more people, like later on in life, they wish they hadn't done this. So it's a
1: crazy conditioning that we all seem to have. And what's these distractions? And I, yeah. I think the pandemic was a great way to show us, like for me, even band life, going back to that question earlier, the toughest thing for me was not doing. I felt like doing allowed me to not work on. The personal growth allowed me to not to sit in silence, allowed me not to, you know, do my practices that I knew helped me mentally, like with my mental health, because, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do, I have this case. And once I quit my job, when I quit my job, it was like, I don't have anything I have to do. And it was like, it was scary. It was scary because I knew there was so much work I had neglected within myself and I had no excuse. The excuses weren't there. So I know for me, oftentimes I would do more. And I not because I needed more money, but just because it made me feel productive without doing the work that I actually Mm -hmm. got to do or could have been doing that I wasn't.
0: And is it actually productive? What is it leading to? So it's like the longer that you put being off a human being, we're great at being human doings. Mm -hmm. But the longer that you put off being a human being, it's like the harder it's going to be to get back to what it means to be a human.
1: Yeah. And I, I know we didn't kind of going off left field here, but I think for a lot of people financially, they're like, yeah, that sounds beautiful, but I can't afford a van. I can't go take off from work to go build my own house. I can't do any of the things that you're talking about. I mean, traveling, uh, we've, The whole travel industry is like this luxury travel. So people feel like they can only take a vacation if it's, you know, this expensive vacation. Lots of opportunities. We've talked about it on some of our episodes to be able to volunteer, travel for cheap. And I think that's beautiful. And another idea is these intentional communities. That's something that I've really been jumping into because this work that people feel like they don't have time to do because they work, you know, nine to five or whatever it is. And then they come home. And they're exhausted mentally, physically, whatever it is. So they consume entertainment in order to get them through the next day. And then the next day comes and they have to pay for the things they're consuming. And so it's like this vicious cycle. For a lot of people, you create that space and that uh, that time to be able to do that work if you're sharing expenses. So being able to have a community of like-minded people, and there's so many communities out there that people could visit, that people could explore, that people, you know, and that's uh, a direction that we're going to be going in, in the channel, we have some uh, episodes we'll be doing on that, because I think that's an untapped resource for people who the system isn't serving, and they don't know where to go. And they don't feel financially stable enough to make that jump into the unknown.
0: So you mentioned that you kind of had this nest egg, and you weren't just leaving your job with absolutely nothing you had some money to fall back on. uh, And a barrier to doing this would, I guess, be exactly that people don't feel comfortable to do so. So you mentioned that there's these volunteer opportunities, or maybe you could like work on a farm and uh, in exchange for room and board. What are the, is there websites where we can find this? And what does your income look like now? Like, how long will you be able to do this for? How long will you you be able to sustain it? I know that's a lot of questions at once.
1: Sure. Uh, I'll start with the last one first, because this is what I'm most proud of is my nest egg has not shrunk. So I'm spending what I've made, um, which is in the ballpark of like 25 grand a year of passive income that I'm making. And you might think like, oh, that's nothing. Yeah. Like in the US, it's not a lot. But when you're traveling the world and a hostel is maybe, I don't know, five dollars a night um, and it comes with breakfast or you're volunteering and they give you food and board to work four hours a day for five days a week. And you're able to stay for two weeks, get to know an authentic family in one of these countries, learn the culture and still explore. And all you're really spending money on is the excursions you might be doing. Like, And for us, like Lauda and I are all about nature pretty much all the things we do is like hiking, finding rivers to bathe in and just be out in the wilderness. Right. So we don't spend a lot of money. Um, there are times where I'm like, Oh, it'd be nice to have a little bit more, but, uh, yeah, I mean, well, that's the, that's the answer, the the last answer. And, um, I I don't remember all the questions you asked. So where does your, where does your main source of income come from now? Where, or how can people
0: make an income living on the road?
1: Sure. So my situation is maybe a little bit unique. Um, I have some experience in, in creating passive income through like hard money lending, which is essentially like giving loans to uh, construction companies to build houses at high interest rates um, rather than using banks because they take longer. But like That's convoluted. And like, that's one particular example. People on the road primarily do three things. They work seasonally. So, you know, whether it's at a farm or at a coffee shop or at a bar, wherever it is, you know, two, three months in the winter, and then they have enough money to live off of for the rest of the year. That's one option. Though the difficult thing is a lot of people get sucked back in to those comforts because they get an apartment or whatever it is. And then they forget or they get scared to step into the unknown because a lot of people think, well, you already stepped into the unknown. You can do it again. There's the ego so strong. It somehow convinces us that it's going to be different. It's not going to work this time. I got lucky the first time, you know, whatever it is. The second way is working on uh remotely. A lot of people I know are working remote. Uh, they have, you know, Wi-Fi in the van or wherever they are and they work either part-time or full time, some people. Um, and then, The other way is to have a nest egg and either have passive income or just spend it. Uh, So those are those are the primary ways that people are living. But I think another way is, you know, the intentional communities or just living a lot cheaper. Minimalism is like the first step Start realizing you can spend so much less like you're living. I think you said in Miami. I was talking to a buddy of mine for a a one bedroom. He's spending something like thirty seven hundred dollars a month rent. It's like that's wild. That's wild. I've spent, I mean, I'm living like a beautiful life where I get to eat on this. So many amazing foods that are fresh. I get to travel. I get to be in nature and I'm spending way less. So, I mean, part of it is like loud and I speak Spanish, so it's a little bit easier, but a lot of people that don't have language skills are doing this. There's so many places you can go where it's so much cheaper, whether it's you know, Southeast Asia, whether it's um, even like places in Europe, like Portugal, Spain, parts of Italy, where it's super cheap. There's so many ways to do this. It's not like, okay, give me the directions and I'm going to go do this. The biggest thing, I know I'm just kind of going on a rant here. The biggest thing I would tell people is don't worry about like, how am I going to make the money? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Do the work to connect with your intuition. Do the work to just listen to that voice and, Treat it like a game. Like when you hear something, you're like, I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to start picking things randomly and see what happens. And then when things start to work out, you connect with that voice right before you did it. And you're like, that was my intuition. And once you start to learn to connect with your intuition, your con- intuition will guide you wherever you need to be. I promise things will work out if you connect and listen to that voice. Don't worry about the finances. I'm not saying, like, you know, you have three kids and just like quit your job and go do it. Start doing the work to connect to that voice because that voice knows where you get to be and will guide you. Yeah. You have to start asking the questions and then the answers. Yeah, will be, be open to the answers. Right.
0: Yeah. So we're oh, in the last one was, so where can people find these opportunities? Is there like a website?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of like apps uh, or you know, companies that will provide like matching, you know, you have like profiles that you can look at where it's like, Oh, this is what this person offers. This is what that person offers. This is the work and you can create a profile. Um, uh, I don't remember any of the names. I know we have them, like the links on the the episode we did on this. Um, couch surfing is another great way. It's, uh, just basically like Airbnb for free. You can either host people from around the world or, travel for free. You just stay on their couch or their spare bedroom. And the idea is like a cultural exchange. I know when I was living in Miami, I hosted over a hundred people. Um, I backpacked all over the place doing that and I wasn't spending money. Like really like, yeah, maybe like cook a meal for them. And it's this cultural exchange. That's all that's expected.
0: You mentioned that you and Lada like just hiking and such. And I found that the best experiences that I've had, are generally like free or next to nothing, like going to the state parks or uh, going to see a waterfall or something like that. That's the most enjoyable experience where I can just kind of be present and be out of all the the noise. Like I, I don't really have too much fun going to clubs or like sporting events, anything like that anymore. It just doesn't appeal to me too much. Now I'm really seeking like
1: the quiet and
0: the natural stuff and it's free or it's, next to
1: free. Yeah. I remember uh, where I proposed to Lauda, this beautiful waterfall in Mexico. Uh, we ended up eloping like a week and a half later. It's beautiful experience. But what I remember is all these people would come on these buses. You know, we were there super early, so no one was there. But during the day, they'd come for 10 minutes, take a picture, take a video and leave. And it was just, it blew my mind. We spent all day, explored the whole area. Like we're just laying on this grass, beautiful water, like Gorgeous, beautiful, incredible place. And these people are just like, you know, hashtag this, you know, Instagram post that, TikTok, whatever it is. And then they were gone. And it wasn't like from a place of judgment, because I'm sure there were moments where I did the same thing in my life, but it was like, it was almost like a mourning. It was like a sadness for them that they missed such a beautiful experience because of this distraction this distraction, I have to do the next thing. I have this itinerary, have this, and I get it, like not having a lot of time and wanting to see everything. But I would just say like my advice to people in life, whether it's travel, whether it's a conversation, whether it's, you know, eating breakfast, just take time to go deeper and do less rather than trying to do everything. I got to get through my checklist. Oh, I got to move on to the next thing. Cause my mind, it's so easy to move on to the next thing and not experience what I'm truly experiencing. And I'd say the biggest transition for my life currently, other than having real peace and and mental health is experiencing and being present because before I wasn't, I was literally like, I'd be on a date with one woman thinking about the next date. I had the next day with the next, like that's not healthy. That's borderline disgusting. I mean, that's pretty much the norm nowadays though. Yeah. I I don't even know what the norm is. Like I haven't watched the news in two years and I'm, I was like the type of person that was super into politics and like keeping up on current events and networking events and all these things. And now I'm just like, I don't know what's going on. It's better. It's
0: It's funny you mentioned all that though. And I I agree. Uh, Presence is definitely something that I had to work on when Jade and I went to Puerto Rico recently. It was funny. We went to, uh, God, I can't remember the name of the park right now, but, uh, as we're driving in our little rental jade points out she's like look at all the white people i might edit this part out but it's like (laughs) we're all standing at this like dinky looking waterfall that's just part of the the linear path that's paved out for them and then they hop right back on the bus and they see everything that and uh what you mentioned where it's like try not to do so much whenever we would plan out vacations i'm generally the one that plans them uh i'm very I wouldn't say I'm an adrenaline junkie, but I do like more active things. And I would try to plan out like three or four things a day. And it didn't really work out so well. So I just focus now on doing one thing and just enjoying it to the max, maximum capacity. So now I want to get into the house. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but what has it looked like building this house over the previous seven months for you what what have the costs look like and what does your future with this home look like do you intend to start homesteading growing your own vegetables bringing on animals what's your future look like
1: yeah so this idea was primarily based on we Laura and I couldn't be in the same place because of visa issues. And we did get married, we eloped and went through that process 14 months ago and still waiting on the interview for her to be able to enter the United States. And so it's been a great opportunity to travel around the world. Uh, but also, yeah, we, we decided to do a project with this time we had. So we spent time building a Cobb house, which is totally natural. Cobb is a mixture of sand, straw and clay and yeah, it's, it's been a challenging experience. Uh, it's challenged our relationship in the first year of marriage, uh, for sure. Uh, having to wear all those different hats, not just be a partner, but also be like a colleague at work, right? We're building this thing together and neither one of us really knowing what we know how to do or figuring it out and all that stuff as we go. Uh, but it really has been a special experience. We're We're going to be going to another country because my visa is expiring in Colombia. We finished the house this last week. Um, The tour of the house will be up in the next few weeks. We'll be doing an episode on the costs that will come out in the next couple of weeks as well on the YouTube channel. It was probably about $3,000, all the materials. Obviously that's not including our time, but Loud and I built it ourselves. And um, some of the materials like the clay we were able to source from the property. Uh, so, you know, didn't spend anything on that. Other than that, like we were built paying for sand. Uh, we collected the rocks for the the base of the house on the property and around town. Like we did it cheap, but the whole objective was if we can show people that, you know, we can create this house without any experience watching some YouTube videos it's, it's opening a door of possibilities. Like, I don't know what that average cost of houses are, but I know that they've, I, I read something like they've increased like 39%, 30, 39 times, like 3,900 times, right? Uh, Or 3,900%, whatever it is, since the 70s. Like, it's just not affordable. And you, especially with like people paying for student loans and paying for this and paying for that, and having to have the new iPhone and all. Like, Life isn't affordable anymore. And building your own house is one way to make it more affordable, uh, to have more time. You know, things like chickens and, you know, we, we grew avocado trees and mango trees and banana uh, plantains and limes and all these different things. And we also did an episode with Lauda's parents who recently retired, moved up into the mountains and started homesteading. And they've been living completely off-grid and having <laughs> this amazing experience connecting with the the plants that they're they're planting and the animals. And it's just a really beautiful way of life compared to being in front of a television or being in front of a computer or being on your phone or being at your desk. It's, it's just healthy. I believe it's the way we're meant to live, like being in nature.
0: You built a home for less than the rent of an apartment in Miami for a one pretty bedroom month. apartment, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. And, I, and I totally it's, agree with it's
1: you. Huge. Like, after living in the van, I kept telling Lauda, like, this is so big. Like, I mean, what is it? It's probably like six meters, six, like 18 feet. And it's um octagon. So, like, whatever that looks like dimensionally. And it's, Maybe like uh, 11, 12 feet high. So we made a pretty, like for me, it's a huge house. It has a loft, bed, all that type of stuff. And we made it, like us too. And it's so much bigger than the van. And we're surrounded by nature. Like we joke, like we have such a big house because it's everything outside. Like we, it encourages us to go outside.
0: I agree with what you were saying, how like these are our skills that like, this is the way that we should be living. Like we should know how to do these things, but we kind of just pawn it off to someone else to do for us because we're distracted. So that's
1: that's what they want, right? Like without getting into all these conspiracy theories, like the government wants us to be dependent on it because then we give it all of the power. If we were able to be dependent on ourselves, we wouldn't rely on them. And then if we didn't like something they were doing, okay, well, we don't need them. But right now we do need them. We don't know how to do these things. Mm-hmm. Like, it's as simple as that. It's not that complex. Mm-hmm. And
0: that's why I think it's really important and really interesting what you're doing, because even if it's seemingly small or wild to others, it's like you're bringing back a sense of what we're missing. You're, you're bringing back something that we should know, but has just kind of been taken away from us with all the comforts and the convenience that were offered. So I really admire what you're doing. And I've been talking to Jade about van life for quite some time now. And uh, I did set a date. Now I just need to follow up with it. Now I just need to follow through and take some even more action, but slowly but surely we're getting
1: there. It's a little bit more difficult with the kid. as, As Jade would say, you get to.
0: Yeah, we get to I imagine it'll be fun. It, it's
1: scary to think about because
0: leave, it would require leaving behind the security, the false sense of security. But I feel like it would lead to a lot more fulfillment and even more happiness than we've already been able to curate.
1: Yeah, and, and, and challenges, right? Like, I, I don't want anyone to, you know, listen to this point and think like, oh, there aren't challenges with that lifestyle. There are, they're different, and they're beautiful. Like if you stick with, you know, being aligned to who you are and committed to not turning your back to those comforts, to those, you know, false sense of security, stick with it. There's so many beautiful, amazing payoffs that will be different for you than they are for me. Like it's the journey for everyone is different. I'm not trying to say like, this is the roadmap, go take it. You'll get to exactly where I am. I'm not hoping that for anyone right? Like it looks different for everyone. Connect to who you are, your authentic self. Everything else will fall into place as long as you listen.
0: I fully believe that, brother. It's it's great to just know that there are options like this out there. All right, brother. So, uh, Josiah, I really, really appreciate your time, and Thank you for coming on here. It was great getting to know you, great getting to chat with you um i look forward to following up with your build out and wherever your journeys take you besides youtube i know you have the living in pause channel which i'll leave in the show notes where else can people find you
1: yeah uh we also we're on instagram uh laura might have created a tiktok i don't know but uh yeah more than anything i mean If you want to watch the videos, I would definitely encourage you, you know, jump in. If you're one of those weirdos like me that doesn't feel like you're fitting in with the status quo and you're open to uh, an alternative lifestyle or way of thinking, more than anything, like if you're willing to just go outside, be in nature, close your eyes, meditate for a minute, any time that you would take watching the video, just do that and you will get more out of that than anything else. And if on top of that, you want to go watch some of the videos, subscribe, go for it.
0: Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much again for your time, brother. Thanks, James.